1: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, Eric Green. What's up, buddy?
2: Good morning, sweet world. Real ones know. I'm all right. How are you doing?
1: Good. Yes. Uh, happy 15th uh, pod anniversary to our friends over at No Dunks. Uh, formerly the Starters, formerly the Basketball Jones. Uh, great, great guys. Great podcast. Happy 15th anniversary. Also, happy one-year anniversary to our friends at the Dishes and Dime podcast. Uh, a great um, all-female podcast covering the Toronto Raptors. It's their one-year anniversary. They're doing a, a special live stream uh, Wednesday at 7. So if you haven't checked them out, uh, that's a great episode to check out. And if you have checked them out, well, mark your calendar for that. I'm sure you're excited for it. Uh, Eric, this is Raptors Reasonless. We have no idea when our blah, our podversary might be. Uh, we lost track of how many episodes we've done because we've jumped from SoundCloud to The Athletic to normal podcast platforms. Uh, do you want to just throw out a random number and we'll say that that is this episode number?
2: Uh, how long? We didn't start doing it right away at The Athletic. I think it, it took a while. Am I wrong, or did we start, like, right in 2016 when I started here?
1: Uh, no, because 2016, I would have been uh, still doing the Raptors Republic podcast yeah. as my main podcast. So. so
2: let's say we've been doing it for about two and a half, three calendar years. What, episode, like, 78? Does that seem reasonable? Sure. Yeah, the seventy eighth episode extravaganza here for you today. When you were doing your ad read just before, I really wanted to yell "iconic" when you said the word "iconic,"
1: mm. uh, but I didn't want to. Yeah, wanna... it's tough not to. Yeah, uh, but you know, if we if we want that money, I better read those straight. By yeah. the way, our very first Raptors Reads Bliss podcast episode was January tenth, two thousand seventeen. So last week was actually our four year anniversary yeah. What a what a time! Everyone's starting podcasts at the start of a new year. What a what a novel idea.
2: Well. It's uh, time has flown by in some ways, as Modest Mouse said. Uh, the years go fast, and the days go so slow.
1: Yeah, sure, um, Eric. That puts us uh, one year away from a big potteriversary, the five year, where uh, you could go to BlueNile.com and get me a podcast <laughs> commitment ring. Ten uh, ten will be sold. Will be all sold out by then, but you as... can. Uh,
2: is we one of them with like a little microphone uh, etched into it somehow? Like a little diamond microphone? Um, I don't know. They'll, they'll Eric,
1: every, everyone listening to this and following us on Twitter knows that I'm terminally single. So I have never uh, never looked for uh, rings. Well, well, let me tell them. you. You would know much better. Yeah, no, I was
2: thinking I should have read that. Uh, you know, because they would have heard the, uh, the knowledge I'd be bringing you. Uh, yes. It's not a fun process. Uh, Married
1: guy, future homeowner.
2: Well, I mean, let's—we're <laughs> assuming a lot of things with that. But yes, the things are trending
1: in that direction. Sure. Yeah. I mean, your standards will your uh, standards will just get lower, right?
0: Um, the longer this goes on.
1: I'm talking about the house, not the not marriage. Well, I this mean, is not me projecting at all. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I'm just gonna leave that one. Totally clear, yeah. but yes, uh, I mean, the correct the correct home should come to us. Things that are not fun to buy, um, and I'm very aware that these are all first-world problems, so please don't come at me with your ats about how I'm privileged to have been looking for engagement rings and houses in the city of Toronto. I know, I know, it's ridiculous, that doesn't make the process fun. That's all I'm saying. It's very okay. stressful.
1: Okay. Did I tell you I got a new place that I move into March first?
2: You did tell me. I don't think you told
1: the listeners. Um, well, I'm not going to say where because these, yeah, these they, listeners, if they're if they're angry at one of my takes, I don't want I don't <laughs> want to catch one in in the so uh, new, new in the morning, area though you know. for you. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's only like a ten minute drive or so, but it's a new neighborhood, so it'll be nice. It'll be the. What one, two, three, four, fifth different neighborhood in the city I've lived in. So, and this will be the furthest east. That's more not quite uh, Eric Karene level of east, yeah. but
2: that's more homes than I've
1: lived in in my entire life. Wow, I have lived in this will be my I want to say seventeenth place that I've lived. Oh my god! Um, so wow. the the place I'm currently in now I've been at for three and a half yeah. years, and it is the it's the longest I've lived at a place. Since like the stretch of time, grade seven to grade ten. Well, I remember
2: when you moved there, and then like after six months, you're like you were already getting like uh, trigger finger on on uh, on wanting to move because that's just yes. like you just get you want to see new. I don't know. I, I'm not going to diagnose you here, but um, yeah. uh, you, you. I mean, situations
1: change. Yeah. Like when when I was a kid, um, you know, my parents were unmarried and. Uh, surprised to have me so we lived in an apartment and then <laughs> just showed up uh, and then uh they got married and found you know took the next step up and then I had two brothers and they took the next step up and then they got separated and the they next step down, down. Yeah. yeah and then and then I went away to university and they took another step down and then you know back and forth like that yeah was, but but what's to interesting school. to me
2: I guess is that you I, I mean it, it shouldn't be a surprise but it's like it's formative and like you look to like, I think there's a lot of you that has looked to move. Like you don't, oh, yeah. you don't yeah, you, I've
1: moved out to Vancouver for a bit. I bounced yeah. around. Like Toronto. you don't
2: want to stay in a place too long. It seems to me is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say.
1: And that's not short, a short contracts, buddy. Yeah. One in one year with a player option yeah, over yeah. and over again, just roll that one plus yeah, one. You're like LeBron with LeBron
2: with Cleveland here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or that was the old John Gibbons Blue Jays deal, too, I think, was that he was just, like, constantly on a one-year deal with a team option. I thought it was—anyway,
2: yes, that was a great deal. Um, Anyway, as somebody—I just said I hated uh, shopping for rings and houses. I also, uh, like, I found moving when I wasn't buying, just renting. I I find the whole moving process terrible, so it's sort of— Confusing to me why that would be attractive to you. But it takes all different folks.
1: Yeah. Um, and speaking, just speaking quickly of uh, the Blue Jays, um, make sure to, as the baseball season picks up, make sure to check out uh, our Blue Jays podcast, Birds All Day. Uh, the Blue Jays have all these new toys like Tyler Chatwood and Kirby Yates. Um, you know, it's not George Springer. It's not DJ LeMayhew. It's not... Um, you know any of the big name pitchers that have uh, been traded or even the the kind of lesser known uh, pitchers like Joe Musgrove who uh, people certainly didn't have a meltdown about going to the Padres the Padres have all the good players by the way yeah Um, not to turn this into a baseball podcast but check out make sure if you are a Blue Jays fan to check out uh, Birds All Day are or actually yeah that's what it's it's still called Birds All Day right
2: they haven't consulted me on on any name change, but I know Drew, sure Drew, Drew Fair Service is. continues to host. Um, the Mets fired their GM, so one wonders how that might affect their uh, their search for or, or their hunt of George Springer.
1: Yeah, that's about the 417th biggest consideration to come out of that Mets story. Um, um, uh, yeah, no, that's probably. Way down the list.
2: It's probably <laughs> not. But I mean, we were talking about the Chase.
1: Yes. That, that's all. I, I'm not yeah, trying we to. Are, we are now eight minutes into a podcast and haven't talked about the Ra- Raptors. This so is right now. Banter! Banter! This is Raptors' <laughs> Uh By the way, if you're. If you are eight minutes into this podcast and you're like, geez, I just want to talk about the Raptors, you can head to com slash we the six sign up there for all the written content. Uh, there's a deal there right now for three ninety nine a month. Uh, which is a, a nice discount off the regular price. Uh, and then you don't have to listen to eight minutes of banter. You occasionally get two or three paragraphs <laughs> about music or wrestling or Friday Night Lights before you get your story. But you could scroll down, which you can't do on yeah. this podcast, because you never know you when get, we're actually going to start talking about the rap. You get
2: the vintage Eric Correed four-paragraph lead that is about that is about what the story is not about. That's, that's my formula. Anyway. Clear eyes, full hearts. Long twos. Yeah, I was very pleased for you, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, so we are talking about the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> uh, they had a really strong week since we last talked. They have won three games. They went three and zero to improve to five and eight. They beat the Charlotte Hornets in a pair of one possession games, and then they blew out the Dallas Mavericks on uh, Monday which was uh, good to see the Mavericks, of course, four or five players shorthanded due to health and safety protocols. Also on the second night of a back-to-back, uh, they are struggling a little bit right now. And Charlotte has decidedly come down to earth after uh, a fun LaMelo ball-fueled start to the season. So not the certainly not three wins that'll look like marquee wins down the line, but when you entered the week 2-8... and eight, you can't really complain about any kind of wins you're getting. Uh, the Raptors are now 5-8. and eight. They now have a positive point differential on the season. Uh, they have the point differential of what should maybe be a 7-6 team. They're 15th in the league in net rating. And if you were worried that when we talked about, hey, is it too early, is it not too early to panic... Uh, despite being 5-8, and eight, they are now only one game out of six in the Eastern Conference, so uh, things have changed quickly, and things could look uh, pretty different after the tough week ahead, where they have uh, four pretty tough games, two more of those two-game series, which... Um, I didn't find—I think because they had already done a two-game series against Charlotte in the preseason and because Gordon Hayward didn't play in the first game and then played in the second game, so there was, like, a fundamental personnel change. Um, I didn't find that series as interesting from a, like, how-will-you-tweak-things-between-games stance because Charlotte ratcheted up the zone, but the Raptors had to kind of change their defense because Hayward was coming in. Uh, Anyway, Eric, high-level, your thoughts on the Raptors 3 a week? Um— they weren't as good
2: as they were on the West Coast trip. That was sort of my first takeaway, uh, and I mean that might not be fair. I guess Pascal Siakam wasn't as good, and that was that's like the thing that I'm most interested in from a big picture standpoint. Uh, but he did have a nice second half against Dallas, as Kyle Lowry was quick to point out. By the way, Kyle Lowry, what a lead, <laughs> What a leader! Just, just freaking. Uh, deflecting
1: praise, like he's the host of the Raptors Reasonableists, yeah. and uh, Stanley Johnson too. Though yeah. deflecting <laughs> praise, just getting into an argument with Mike Gantzer of, of the Toronto Sun about whether or not Stanley Johnson did a good job on defense I, on Luca. I did nothing. <laughs> I, did, yeah. I, I was barely there at all. Um, yes. Anyway, it, it allowed me
2: for a nice. Uh, uh, quasi-joke afterward. So thanks, Ganter, and thanks, Stanley Johnson. But uh, he Kyle Lowry, who was awesome in the third quarter and basically awesome all night against the Mavericks, said it was really Pascal Siakam who got himself going, which got the Raptors going. And uh, I find that claim a bit dubious, but he did have a better second half. But uh, on the whole, I mean, they took care of business. It was a very take care of businessy type, Weak. The Charlotte wins, I don't think, were very impressive. They were full of holes. Uh, they I messed up ex- late-game execution defensively in both games and got away with it. Uh, one you can read about in the last two-minute report <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the Dallas game was, you know, probably all things considered, their best game of the year, uh, albeit against, Certainly defensively. Yeah, albeit against a deflated, or uh, an undermanned, I should say, Mavericks team dealing with the uh, health and safety protocols. But, uh, you know, with OG and an OB and Stanley Johnson leading the charge, and this is what I wrote about, they did a very nice job on Luka Doncic. And uh, that mm-hmm. is sort of what was reminiscent about... The effort last year is they really found a way to corral and control uh, a certified superstar, uh, all asterisks, the the health issues, plus the back-to-back that I did not mention, uh, notwithstanding.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it was an interesting thing coming in because you look at where the Raptors have struggled so far this year, and I I think— Siakam's got the most headlines, and then um, the the continued struggles from the pair of traditional centers has been kind of the the B-plot on the struggles. And if you compare, especially with the centers, if you compare how the Raptors have defended this year so far to how they defended last year, um, something like a Duncic matchup is a big concern because last year, you know, they, they pretty famously were shutting down stars left and right, and what that would create was a lot of, you know, four-on-three underneath the traps or underneath the doubles. And part of that part of the reason that that could succeed was there was just so much connectivity in terms of, okay, who has what help assignment what after the trap, where are you recovering to once a Harden or a Doncic or a LeBron James gets the ball out. And a lot of that had to do with you had two centers that knew the system well, and you could rely on kind of in uh pseudo drop e- either to, to be part of the trap or to be a part of that four on three and uh, continue to seal off the paint against, you know, guys who are attacking wild closeouts and stuff like that. So um, you look at that and how they succeeded, and then you look at the way this team's played so far, and maybe you're concerned if you put the extra bodies on Dunchich, then, uh, you know, an Aaron Baines at center or even a Chris Boucher at center who, you know, is great at some things defensively, but still isn't, you know, there's a reason him and Stanley Johnson have done the offense-defense substitutions at times. Um, he doesn't have the, the full trust of, of the coaching staff he had in a traditional defensive scheme. Um, and, and maybe you were concerned about that. And I, I think, you know, early on they lost Porzingis a couple times because of the attention that they were giving Duncic. Um But I think they, they figured it out. And I think one of those tweaks was, you know, Siakam kind of became the rim protector instead of Boucher. So Boucher could continue uh, blocking a league leading amount of three point shots. He's at eight already in just 13 games. Um, but yeah, it's, it worked out better uh, than you would have anticipated. And again, the Mavs are a little shorthanded. But the Raptors looking more like themselves defensively uh, is important because so far they've been pretty mediocre on that end. And that's that's where we thought that they would be able to establish a floor this year. We figured the half-court offense would be what it's been. And that's a little up and down. They've, they've probably even overperformed um, on the offensive end considering that they haven't been as lethal a transition team. But that defense is their stabilizer and where they need to be. And, you know, the fact that they only trust six guys right now, and one of those, Norman Powell, um, has not been good defensively. It's it's tough sometimes for them to uh, lock in for kind of, you know, the idea of locking in for 48 minutes is, is kind of a myth. But the ability to lock in for 24 seconds of connectedness and then get the defensive rebound hasn't been there Uh, and was there a little better on Monday so um, there are going to be plenty of tests uh, for that coming up you know they have two against the Heat and two against the Pacers and against the Heat you're looking you know how where does Chris Boucher fit in a defensive scheme where Bam is on the floor and you know the Raptors put OG on Bam which they did last year and was a lot of fun because then you can switch those Duncan Robinson actions, you know, Boucher's maybe on a uh an Andre Iguodala or something like that and how does he look in that in that role? And then you look ahead to the Pacers and you know, Boucher has revenge to get against DeMontis Sabonis, uh, Boucher's first ever, like, real yeah. NBA action during his G League season came against the Pacers, and Sabonis kind of bodied him, and that was it for Boucher getting playing time for a little bit. So um, some revenge there, and the Pacers do start two um, more traditional bigs in Sabonis and Turner. So some some good challenges for ahead for the steps the team took defensively. Eric, I want to circle back to your Lowry comments uh, before we get into some of the, I guess, still residual concerns. Kyle Lowry, after his game Monday, is now leading the team in scoring. He's leading the team in assists, and he is third on the team in rebounding. Uh, he also, of course, has the um, the best on-off uh, on the roster other than uh, Chris Boucher, who just has these monstrous uh, numbers because of how how poorly they've played with traditional centers. Um, actually, I, I, I think the numbers have tilted now, where Norm has a better on off than Lowry too, um, largely because all his all of his minutes have come with Boucher. Uh, Kyle Lowry is still really awesome, and I think that we should just take a minute to appreciate it.
2: Yeah, um, I mean he's good. <laughs> Uh, it's, you know, I'll turn 35 in March. He's just keeps going. He keeps impacting winning at a high level. He, I mean, we are not even talking about that, the shot against Charlotte, uh, where oh. th- they decided like our best option is just a Kyle Lowry ISO on a player six inches taller than him. And he, uh, you know, takes what's a bad shot by, you know, just from a shot chart perspective, a, a contested 20 footer, uh, not too dissimilar to the one he hit over Matthew Del Vadova all those years ago against Cleveland. I think that was I think he might have had that was either a three or he had a foot on the line. That was a bit deeper. But same idea. Step back jumper. Um, and you couldn't even hate it.
1: <laughs> like you Hey, do. look. We, we've always said this about the mid range is that it's not bad in and of itself. You need it if you're going to be a high usage guy with the ball in your hands or whatever. And look, the end of game scenarios like that are very much a if you can get a shot off against whatever the defense is doing, you got to be it, you got to take it. And, you know, that's not, I certainly wouldn't want him to take that shot 10 times a game. But if he can get that off and he does get that off and, um, you know who was it last year that he was? It was against Kemba, wasn't it? That he did the same thing. And he just kind of threw the ass out to back him down and hit. hit yeah, kind not of not quite, turnaround. not
2: quite the same shot. Like he he, no, he but, was backing him down. Uh, and yeah, but like, my point is yeah. that
1: Lowry knows how to create space for himself to get a shot. Yes, saying, and in late game scenarios, that's what you and that's, th- that's priority one.
2: I think it's uh, our colleague. Um, Great. Now I'm... uh, Seth? Yeah, Seth Partnow, who says that the mid-range isn't dead, it's just the province of stars. And uh, that's the whole point here, is that Kyle Lowry is still a dang star. And that's pretty amazing, considering the size and the age and all the things we've talked about for so long with him. Uh, He's great.
1: Yes, uh, probably not the best thing for the team over the course of 72 that Lowry is uh, their leader in just about every stack category again. Part of that is due to the continued up and down play of Pascal Siakam. Uh, Before we dive a little deeper on Siakam, I just want to talk about Fred Van Vliet. Uh, On Monday at TheAthletic.com, I had a piece go up that kind of dove into Van Vliet's offensive progression this year, and he's still not finishing particularly well, and his three-point percentage is down in part because he's taking more pull-up jumpers, uh, but he's a guy who has really added to his mid-range and floater-range package uh, in a way that's, you know, improved his uh, scoring capability. He's still a tad below uh, where you'd want him to be in terms of true shooting percentage, especially since he's using more possessions this year. Uh, but he's also uh, improved as a playmaker, I think, in the pick and roll, uh, especially, and, and then kicking out off of drives. So uh, Van Vliet kind of right there with Lowry and Siakam. They're actually averaging 19.1, 19.0, and 18.9 sure. points. So that's uh, that's got to be the closest three lead scorers have ever been Uh, in terms of stats. But I I think, you know, Monday aside, because I didn't think Van Vliet had a very good game on Monday, um, he's obviously very good defensively. I think he's still playing at kind of an all-defense-ish level uh, right now. So the floor is so high for his style of play. Um, And I think he's taking steps. And and I know it can be frustrating sometimes that uh, if you were trying to maximize every single possession on its own just to maximize that possession. I think Van Vliet would have the ball in his hands less than he does, and he would be initiating less than he is uh, because he is their best catch-and-shoot threat and because the offense does tend to flow a little better with the ball in the hands of Lowry or Siakam. Uh, but I think it's also important to remember that Van Bleet's in year one of a four-year deal. He's still only in his fifth season, and there's uh, there's value in continuing to give him those reps. Uh, where are you at with Van Vliet and how what he's shown over the first 13 here,
2: yeah, I think he's been pretty good um, until last night. I, I don't think he would had like any real abject poor games, and even then, he was a big part of the trapping or, or the the semi regular trapping scheme that they threw at Luka Doncic. So his value never disappears entirely, uh, which should go without saying, but I just said it. Um, he seems like he's stepping into more mid-range jumpers which was part of your story um it just to me it seems like they're not only a uh end of shot clock option but but like if it's if there's like a decent one with 10 or 12 left he might take it which I, again i don't think is the worst thing it's it's a good thing uh, long-term for his development to try and make that a more efficient shot. And uh, the way to do that is is reps and, and taking it when it's, you know, semi-open as opposed to only wide open. Uh, you want to see him get better at the rim. Can he? I, I mean, he certainly has a lot of creative finishes, but he's put into awkward situations a lot like around the rim just because he has so much to overcome from a size and athleticism perspective and when he does finish it looks pretty amazing and uh, yeah he's gonna have to find a way to I guess another thing I'd like to see is him get the free throws up and I think that's another thing he would say he would like to see while not necessarily putting the onus on himself if you get my drift (laughs) Um,
1: and yeah it's look it's uh, it's unusual for a guy to see the usage spike to be a veteran to be playing better in a lot of areas and then see his free throw rate kind of cut in half yeah and uh, i think it'll
2: get i think that will normalize to a certain extent um and you know maybe nick nurse needs to get fined uh At some point, talking about Fred Van Vliet, as he did that one year about Kawhi. Look, if Fred's
1: taking technical fouls and eating that pay for Stanley Johnson... What a match. Someone's got to get Fred Van Vliet's back and earn a, a tech or a fine for Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, but where does that stop? With God? Does it stop with God picking up a tech for Masai? Um... But yes. No, you could go. It, it probably stops at Uncle Larry. You, a, you know, then Maasai gets the the fine for uh, Nick, and then that just gets folded into uh, the Maasai contract that is apparently never coming,
2: or the uh, or the
1: Bobby Webster
2: contract. Um, also, apparently never. No, coming. No, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah. It's almost done, though. That's that's what they say.
1: Uh, Bobby, Bobby, the holdup with Bobby is he wants an entire room in, in OVO Center uh, converted into a cafe that he can run. So uh,
2: that that'd be the type of petty shit that I would insist on um, if I had yes, such uh, power. Yes, we know,
1: we know, lead writer Eric Green.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, Eddie Uh Uh, I would think that over time he will start to get... I I don't think it's been egregious. And I think, like, even Lowry, like, small guards, when there's body contact and they're uh, on the floor so often, they don't always get the call because, like, there can be body contact. And if if the defender is going up vertically at the rim, that is legal defense. If you're not, like, contorting your body in a non-vertical way so that's raptors
1: gonna... guards do be fallen yeah on those uh, layup attempts
2: so that's sort of where i'm at with him uh and you know lowry's definitely learned how to use his body effectively to at least create space for him himself and make those looks easier like he he had a few finishes against dallas uh there was one where he just like it was like a straight away bank layup almost like a <laughs> i think it was it was at the end. I want to say it was at the end of a quarter, but I'm not absolutely positive. That was just the degree of difficulty on that shot was very difficult. And I think, I mean, Van Vliet certainly has, has some more to take from Kyle. Not that they're the same player. They're different. But, it, you know, from that perspective, he can certainly learn a bit more and a, apply a bit more. But overall, he's been very good, continues to be a really important piece of the team, did an awesome job on Steph
1: Curry. Yeah. Um, He's good. Sure is. Uh, do you want to talk more positives, or do you want to get negative? Uh, let's look at the
2: time. I mean, we can go. I mean, they went 3-0. Let's hit one more positive. All right. Uh, Chris Boucher rules.
0: Yeah, Chris so Boucher I have averaging. a question
2: for you. Uh, yes. More likely, what is the most likely of these three? Most improved, sixth man of the year, or... Uh, I was, I'm just gonna say all star. All star seems really unlikely, but I'll throw in all star. Uh,
1: I'm gonna say most improved, just because right now he would probably be the sixth man of the year, but that requires him to come off the bench for at least half of his games. So uh, if we assume that he's going to play all 72, he then only has 22 starts left, or 22 games off the bench left before he would become ineligible for. Or sorry, he can he can start 32 games. Um, 32, 36 games. Uh, And that could be coming. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Boucher is averaging 24 minutes. He, in those 24 minutes, putting up 16 points on a 60-45-78 shooting split. Also second to only Pascal Siakam on the team in rebounding. um, Has turned the ball over very rarely. Is leading the team uh, in shot blocking and net rating and on-off and all that stuff. He has been tremendous statistically and it's it's led to a bit of an every game question of should Boucher be starting and now the argument for that would be that he's been one of their five best players and you want to play those guys as much as possible um and in the highest you know kind of leverage minutes which are starting the game and ending the game um The counter to that would be, A, that you have to get Baines or Len going at some point and get them comfortable. B, that you like Boucher's uh, energy off the bench because uh, you don't have a lot of scoring punch off the bench, and he kind of provides that. And C, uh, a small concern about foul trouble if Boucher starts against more traditional centers. He is averaging three fouls uh, in just 24 minutes. Him, Baines, Len, and Siakam have all been um, very foul-prone. To start the year. So, Eric, uh Chris Boucher's been amazing. He's been one of the better stories of the NBA season so far. Should he eventually be starting for the Raptors?
2: Um, I think my answer is more often than not, uh, he should be the starter. If there's, like, an unworkable matchup, I don't mind giving Baines what he's currently getting now, the, you know, 10 minutes a game. The a game. special, yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean... I, I, as Nick Nurse said, I don't think he was the problem against Charlotte on Saturday night, uh, and uh, they went even, although at a very low scoring rate against Dallas to start <laughs> the game. I think they were both in his minutes. Uh, he was a he was a neutral uh, plus minus, and the the uh, ratings were like eighty seven. So <laughs> that's. Uh, not great, and he, he certainly is not finding really a way into the offense other than by screening. And I would also say on that end that Pascal Siakam sure looks a lot better when one of them isn't on the floor, uh, one of them being Baines or Len. And I think there's that shouldn't necessarily be the case, especially with Baines, but that's what I've seen, and I, I think... I, I'm guessing you would agree. I'm, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, the spacing's a little off, yeah. right? Like, like teams right now, because of Baines' confidence level and how poorly he's shooting the ball, are not respecting him from the outside. Uh, and that means that Baines has been in the dunker spot a lot more often um, because, you know, as much as he's a great screener, he's not quite as dynamic handling the ball or in dribble handoff as some of the other options. So uh, the spacing can get kind of cramped. And there's more you can do about that, for sure. You can have... Um, Baines and Siakam in actions together a little bit more, Uh, you know, Len so far at least has been a a bit more of a three-point threat on low volume, Um, there's stuff you can figure out, but right now it certainly looks like Pascal is uh, having more trouble with uh, a traditional center out there, and that's maybe part of why he isn't shooting as well um, overall. But I guess that's a natural transition point to some of the negatives. We have to talk about Eric, which is more of a sweet spot for us. Uh, Last podcast, we talked about the steps Pascal Siakam was taking forward. Um, He scored a little better. Uh, He looked a little more comfortable getting to the front of the rim. He was passing the ball extremely well. Um, Bit of a step back over the second Charlotte game and the first half of the Dallas game before he turned it around. Uh, I don't think it's realistic to to envision his season as like, oh, at some point, everything's just going to click and it'll be permanently fixed. Uh, These things take time and aren't linear. Uh, But I was at least a little disappointed with after he played so well and the process side of things had improved so much for a couple games there that it it seemed to regress and and needed kind of um, the halftime shakeup after three iffy halves, um, you know, heading into the second half of that Dallas game, Uh, Would you agree? Where's where's Siakam at for you right now? Other than, you know, it's obviously uh, pretty up and down for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, they were disappointing, uh, his play in the time you mentioned. Uh, I am, like, getting pretty concerned about the jumper. Uh, For the dude who keeps on messaging, can Pascal not hit a three anymore? As I tweeted last night, I've seen your messages in each of the last three games, and they consider them acknowledged. Uh I'm seeing the same stuff you
1: are. Uh, um but it, Yeah, the percentage is the percentage. Yeah, like it's twenty six percent right yeah, now. Yeah, it's not good. Um ho- But also like two weeks ago people were melting down over OG's three point yeah, shooting yeah. and now he's at thirty seven. Yeah, like it's not something like, I'm
2: horribly concerned about, but like I, I think the volume is down and I I know the percentage is down. Uh and that sort of speaks to him. Trying to gain stability in other areas, Uh, I I think his jumper, his mid-range jumper, is looking the form is looking really inconsistent to
1: me. Uh, Yeah, that that Dirk attempt yesterday. But there's a bunch of them. Like
2: he's, uh, I think he's sort of defaulting to like shooting off his back heel, and I know that's not normal because near the end of the game, I saw him go straight up and down with a shot. Like so. you know, that's a—it's a good tool to have when you need to create space for yourself. Like that, you want it in your repertoire, especially as the—you know—the type of player he is. But you don't need to default to that uh, when you know they're just giving you a, a semi-contested mid ranger Like you could just go straight up and down. So, I mean, that's my very—you know—not quite amateur, but not quite professional—analysis on his jumper uh and he was just a little more passive and again that has to do with some spacing issues and uh you know maybe Dallas and Charlotte having a, a few better options to guard him uh than the previous teams uh but at the same and i sort of looked at what og ananobi was doing against Kristaps Porzingis in the first half and like he was not very successful og at driving um but he was going right at him and making like decent moves. And it was sort of Ananobi's, you know, he, he is his handle and his, you know, is not his his strongest weapon, obviously. Uh, uh But you by seeing him do what he's doing, you're thinking, why can't Pascal do some reasonable facsimile of that? Because. Porzingis, for all his length, is a pretty flat-footed defender, and you would like to see him tested a bit more. Uh, and there was just too much... I, I think it was just passiveness, to be honest, uh, to start the game. And he found his way into the paint and got a, got deep position on certain plays in the second half. And uh, hopefully that's a sign of things to come. His touches, Like, I do think his touch around the rim is looking... Uh, That is sort of carried over a bit from the West Coast trip. Like he's hitting a lot more of those, you know, short, shorter hook shots. And that's something to be kind of excited about. If you want to turn this into a bit of a positive.
1: I don't. Okay. Um, OG, by the way, in terms of OG's offense, the solution for OG's offense is very easy. It's um, just keep stealing the ball and running it in for dunks. Yeah.
2: Pick sixes.
1: Yes. Uh, second in the league in steals right now to only Larry Nance is OG Ananobi. You so. can Nance if you want to, my friend. Didn't just come here to Nance. <laughs> you know? uh, good, for, good for OG. Um, he's very he's good. Been, yeah, he's been really good defensively, too. I think him and Fred have been the, the kind of stabilizers defensively. I thought... I've thought so far, you know, Lowry obviously does a ton of great um, team-side defense stuff well. <laughs> he hasn't been quite uh, Kyle Lowry levels at the point of attack. Before the starter. last two
2: games, the defensive splits with and without Kyle are just, were just hilarious. Uh, yeah. Um,
1: now, I don't think they were necessarily represented. No. Because I Like I said, I don't think Lowry has been great on the ball, um, but he's such a smart team defender. Like, there was even the one play yesterday where he... He almost let himself get beat so that he could strip the ball from a different angle. Um, it was really good, and he, obviously the help being there uh, helped with that. Uh, I forget who it was that was taking it at him, but he basically like was like, "Okay, I'm going to lose this matchup." Some, so I'm some, going some to, Yeah, I'm going to change the angle and just swipe. It was the probably ball from Jalen
2: out. Brunson, and he was giving him yeah. the Philadelphia business.
1: <laughs> Uh, I mention this only because I think part of the Siakam discussion at some point might need to be that he hasn't been himself defensively either, and I know that his role has changed around a lot because you know when Boucher's out there, sometimes they use him as the rim protector, and it is very switchy, and he is obviously carrying a, a big load on offense. But I think uh, I think that. You know he needs to. That's one of the things you can control, right? When when your shots not dropping or whatever is uh, that your your defense can come up. By the way, uh, our colleague Sean Strania just tweeted that Miles Turner has a slight fracture in his right hand and will be reevaluated in the coming days. So our earlier discussion of Boucher against the Pacers in that Sunday Monday back to back uh, may change. Hope Miles Turner gets well soon because uh, he's had a super fun start to the season.
2: Also, while we're mentioning health stuff, uh, Jimmy Butler uh, has missed the last three games with uh, health and safety stuff. Uh, we don't we obviously don't know what his situation is specifically. There are a few members of the Heat in uh, in the same situation. So
1: we'll see. Yeah, and Alex Len uh, on the Raptor side in the health and safety protocols. Although he did post an Instagram story from the beach today, so maybe he's out of quarantine now, uh, whatever was going on. Or he a personal uh, beach. That's true also. Uh, Eric, one more, I guess not even negative, just kind of it's something we've been touching on a lot. Um, the bench has stabilized a little bit. Norman Powell and Chris Boucher are obviously parts of that. Uh, Stanley Johnson appears to be set and ahead of Yuta Watanabe uh, for the time being. Which is fine. Stanley's been good, um, you know, okay to good. I, I would go as far as he's been really good defensively, and then offensively, teams are putting centers on him and doubling off of him aggressively. So they're going to have to figure out ways to to make but that. He's, work he's made the
2: occasional shot. He's, yeah, he's, I mean, doing,
1: he's, he's, he's He's hitting the yeah. open threes. It's more about like.
2: Yeah, it's hurt. Hurt's, you know, it hurts if what if you're trying to treat do him from like a that perspective. For
1: sure. Yeah. Exactly. Like, the fact that Stanley's hit a couple of those does not mean that the offense has been good. It just means that it hasn't been as bad as it could be. Um, The bigger question, in my mind, is that extra guard spot. We'll call it the ninth man, for lack of a better term. Uh, Terrence Davis was once again in that spot on... Uh, Monday picked up five fouls in eleven or twelve minutes. Did score a couple quick buckets, but I thought kind of erased them with some uh, quick mistakes uh, at both
2: ends. I enjoyed William Lou's question last night. Were you? uh, What's the deal with Terrence Davis? (laughs) Basically, what's the deal with Terrence Davis and his fouls?
1: So, look, I, I understand that the Terrence Davis conversation has gotten a little messy because anytime. You tweet a criticism about his play. There are the segment of people who think that's dug into his ongoing legal issues, and there are people who don't even want to talk about his play because of the seriousness of the accusations of charges. Which sometimes him.
2: includes us, by the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I would love to have that wrapped up and be able to talk about this in a way yeah. that I feel better. But about. for now, let's um, just for the
2: moment. For this yes, conversation. His next court date is about a month away. Yeah.
1: So let's just talk on the basketball side. I think if you strip the other stuff away, he still hasn't really warranted the opportunities that he's gotten with his play. Now, if we strip garbage time out of it, Davis has played 80 minutes, Malachi Flynn's 65. Matt Thomas, 47, and DeAndre Bembry, 11. Uh, Assuming that Paul Watson is not going to get those guard minutes, those are kind of the four guys battling for it. Uh, Bembry, obviously, we just haven't seen enough of to really judge. Um, Are you—and Malachi Flynn, I mean, he's been a rookie. Like, I would—all else equal, I would lean toward Flynn getting those minutes because you have four years invested in him, and I think he has the highest upside of those guys. Uh, But— you know, if we're taking this game to game and you're prioritizing, you know, winning each game, are you at least surprised that Matt Thomas hasn't gotten another shot at it yet?
2: I am. Uh, I'm enjoying it for the, for our friend Alex Wong's uh, speculation uh, (laughs) about why it's not happening. Like I said, I think I said this last week, I'm not quite sure what he did Like, I didn't think what he was doing defensively was, like, egregiously worse than what, you know, Flynn or Davis were doing prior to that. Uh, And given that you're looking, like, especially if you're playing Stanley Johnson, if you want to offset the spacing issues, well, there's a possibility. Uh, And
1: and I think they have. Like, they've, they've tried to separate, at least last night, it looked like they were trying to separate Davis and Johnson a little bit. Because, I mean, I, I guess that's not... Davis kind of helps the spacing issues, but they didn't want to have those two guys on the floor together, it seemed like.
2: Yeah, I just think, like, Thomas is a good way to to do that. Uh, and, like, maybe he's... I mean, not maybe. Like, he's certainly just from, like, an athleticism perspective. He's less... You know, they they, they like to play more zone when, when Thomas is in. But... Like it's not, it it's not as good. if Terrence, Davis, so yeah. Defense, yeah, and it's not as if Terrence Davis isn't being picked on anyway. Like he, the guy committed five fouls in sixteen minutes. I, I, yeah, I think he's shown some nice things. Like he's had a few nice drives each day. Like I really liked what he did for most of last year, and the defensive problems weren't as glaring until you know, later on in the season and the playoffs, at least to me, and maybe that's just the product of being a rookie and focusing more on what a guy can do and what, than what a guy can't, because that's sort of how, I mean, my perspective works a lot. I, I think maybe, you know, that's probably more common than not. But, you know, like you said, I, I don't think Davis is locked that down or should have locked that down, and I don't think he has. Like he, uh, he's not that far removed from being a DNP CD. So, I, I think I think Thomas at some point will cycle back in there. Uh, I think it's I think been a F- long
1: time. He hasn't played other yeah, than it's weird in ten games now. It's
2: weird. Um, I think Flynn's been fine. Uh, nothing, nothing special, but he's been fine. Uh, so yeah, I think it's about time. But I, that's not, you know, I, I can't predict what Nick Nurse is going to do. He's stuck with Patrick McCaw for a while last year, if you don't remember or forget. Yes. If you now, <laughs> I I forgot. Anyway, Patrick McCaw, so. who,
1: who, by the way, uh, Nick Nurse said Monday is not making great progress. He's been kind of week to week since uh, they reconvened for camp. And it doesn't sound like a, a Macaw return is imminent. As a reminder, he had late. Uh, season surgery last year to remove a benign mass from his knee it was the second time he required yeah. that procedure it sucks um it does suck and you know obviously they, they'll hit a, a spot at some point where if it doesn't look like macaw's gonna come back uh you know that roster spot becomes pretty valuable uh especially with everything going on you know if you can get another guy you know if you can convert a Utah and sign a different two-way or you can call someone up from the G League or whatever um maybe that becomes a consideration that's probably a little further down the line because they do like Macaw. um he is a useful guy to have around and then also you just you know a guy had these issues playing with you you don't really want to throw him out there and kind of leave him on his own to get back um optically and because you like the guy, and you don't want to do that to him. Uh, but that's something to watch as we get closer to roster churn season, which uh, sets up as March like Mer- for like this Mercy year. season. You know it. Um, G League bubble, let's go. Uh, all right, Eric, the week ahead, the Raptors will play the Miami Heat on Wednesday and Friday, both at Amelie Arena in Tampa Bay, and then they will go to Indiana for games against the Pacers Sunday afternoon, which should be done in time for you to watch the Bills still. And then Monday, uh, the old Sunday, Monday, one location back-to-back against Pacers. Uh, we mentioned some of the Heat's health issues and, and Miles Turner's hand, so there's some real uncertainty about who will be available for those games. Uh, but they should be fun anyway. Even without Butler, Miami is a, a tough and challenging team. And the Pacers, uh, the Nate Bjorkman against Nick Nurse matchup is uh, all it's, sorts uh, of They're
2: playing for the Johnny Carson Cup Uh because Johnny sure. Johnny Carson is a famous Iowan. Judging by the quick Google search now, I just did of famous Iowans.
1: There you go. Um, maybe Matt Thomas plays in that game to just really get the Iowa going. <laughs> uh, Eric, you have uh, been a disaster this year predicting games, but what do you got for us with two against the Heat and two against the Pacers?
2: Uh, I'll split them up evenly, uh, and let's go win-loss, loss-win. How about that?
1: Win-loss, loss-win. All right.
2: I, I've thought about it very carefully. Uh, yeah, as you can tell.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, the Raptors are about to start practice media availability, so we got to get out of here, uh, guys. We will. That's four games over the next. That's four games in six days. So uh, we won't talk to you, barring something dramatic happening. We won't talk to you until after those two mini series. Uh, probably back to talk to you next Tuesday once again, where the Raptors will be, according to Eric Green, seven and ten. And then probably still with a positive point differential and in the top half of the league in net rating. And because it's the Eastern Conference, who knows? They might be in like fifth by then at seven and 10. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, make sure to go to the slash we the six if you haven't subscribed to the written side of the site yet. Um, I guess you could also like rate, review, all that stuff that I always forget to mention. Eric, thank you so much, man.
0: See ya.